Kelsey Steele some time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Welcome into Steel Some Time. It's finale week. Kelsey Steele here alongside Scott Stewart and Matt Calvo here to bring you one final episode of 2020. And what a season it's been, you guys. An unprecedented year to say the least. And I'm hoping today we can really wrap up the season as a whole on a positive note and really look forward to a to a bright 2021 season. Let's hope, Kels. <laughs> Let's hope. Okay. And listen, I think like you and I can say right off the bat here, we're not going to beat around the bush here in this episode. The season didn't end the way we had hoped. We're still super bummed about it. There's no denying that. So today we're going to address the USL Championship final, but also you know shed some light on this season as a whole and all the good things that are headed our way, you know, currently and here into into the off season but um to help us out with that there is no one better than usl president jake edwards to join us on the pod today give us i think that closure that we're looking for the fans some closure that they're looking for um but it as always is a really good conversation with jake and um i think he's going to bring a lot of insight to, to the pod and let fans especially and on some of the things that he has coming uh on keep on your guys's radar so without further ado Let's get into the show today. All of that being said, Scott Stu, I know it's we, we took last week off, so I haven't seen your face here in a hot minute. How are you doing? Um, a mix of relief that we've made it through and just utter despair and sadness that we didn't end it the way we wanted to, right? I mean, obviously, um, long season for everybody involved, literally everybody involved. There wasn't a single staff member who i spoke to at the club level or at the league level, honestly, that hasn't recognized that this year has taken a toll on everybody. Um, so to not be able to end it the way that we all wanted to, obviously a huge bummer, but I am not really one to wallow in despair. I'm, um, I'm certainly looking forward to moving forward with um, what 2021 has to hold. And uh, it can take its time getting here for sure. But when it's here, I think we'll all be ready. And it very well might. Obviously, we have no idea in terms of scheduling what 2021 is going to look like. We are very much still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we, we don't know what that will hold um, for next season, as I know many other leagues are in that exact same scenario in terms of scheduling. So hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll have um, some exciting announcements on, on that front and where everyone can start putting some X's on the calendar, I think, when they look, you know, into, into 2021 and um, obviously looking forward to um, kind of kind of wiping the slate clean, I think, in more ways than one in 2021. Um, I will say that there's a, there's a big positive note that came out of this past weekend, Scott, and it is without question has to be our positive story of the week and it just so happened to happen in, in our backyard here in, in Florida and now it's taken off and, and made international news for good reason um, and if you guys haven't heard this story yet you might want to have a tissue close by because I promise you you're about to be inspired. So this past weekend 21 year old Chris Nikic, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, last name correctly. He became the first person with Down syndrome to finish a full Ironman triathlon this weekend. And for those of you who aren't super familiar with triathlons or exactly what an Ironman um, entails, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 102 mile bike, and a 26.2 mile run. So 140.6 miles total, which all have to be completed by um, the 17-hour mark in order to, you know, go down in, in the record. So 
Krish finished in 16 hours and 46 minutes and nine seconds this past weekend. And it just so happened to be at the race over in Panama City Beach. Um, and uh, so less than 14 minutes under the official cutoff time uh, to earn that official recognition from Guinness World Records. So if you guys haven't heard the story yet, I highly, highly suggest going over to Ironman's social media channels because they documented his entire journey um, this past weekend and have some really cool photography and um, videography from Chris's journey. And now um, it actually seems like he's a Special Olympics hopeful. So he's looking to qualify for the, the 2022 Special Olympics uh, U.S. Games, which are actually taking place in Orlando. Um, so like if that doesn't warm your heart, I really don't know what it was. I'm inspired. Um, to, I don't know. For people who haven't done that type of training before, doing a swim, a little a mile, half mile swim is is a lot. And uh, to do that combined with everything else that you have to do in a triathlon, uh, my hat's off to Chris. Uh, I am I am very much inspired and impressed. Dude, I can't even sniff a full marathon distance. No, <laughs> I'm like marathon. thinking about a half marathon. I'm like, mm, no, nah, I'm good. We're in triple digits on bike mileage over there. It's like, all right, man, that's um, no, that's insane. I also just appreciate that that is our that we have an athletic achievement as our positive story of the week. I know. Right? I need a little motivation to like get back in this and like feel good about it. But that's incredible, incredible achievement. I think definitely in my top three favorite stories of the year. I've never wanted this show to have like merchandise more than right now, just to like s send to Chris, a, like steal some time sweatshirt or something. Oh my God. I would, I would die if, if he got that. That would put our little animated characters on it. Oh, we're, we're, we're going to need to look into merch. This has got to be a thing for 2021. We'll look into it. Yeah. So I thought before we got into recapping 2020, we'd uh, land on a, at a nice positive note there. Um, Chris inspiring the world and uh, BBC has picked it up over in the UK. Billy, Billy Jean King has picked it up. Um, so he's getting shouts from all over, all over the world, every level of professional athlete as well. So I'm going to go for a run in like two hours, I think, and try and make myself feel a little bit better about this. <laughs> and I am not. So you're already there, Kels. So what do you say? We'll just go right into 2020 because you and I obviously have some thoughts. We have, um, you know, some, we have to recap this as a whole for one, but I think there are a number of items from 2020 that you and I have to address that we um, gave our bold predictions to as well. Um, but before we get on into that, Scott, I think I want to start off here nice, um, you know, fun and cheesy. Give me your favorite memory from this 2020 season. And I'm talking from March until November. So we're even including that hiatus there in the middle of the year. Yeah, that's tough, right? I mean, I think um, I love the USL E Cup. I really did. I thought it was so cool to see like the players get engaged and obviously fans. Like that was a that was a time in our calendar year where we were all kind of looking for ways to continue to like stay connected. Um, so I would probably say that. I mean, I just like I said, I thought it was a really cool experience. I thought it was like professionally done. Um, saw a different side of Logan Ketterer that I won't probably ever forget. Um, but yeah. I thought that was really, really cool and really well done. I also never want to play either the Union Omaha kid or, uh, or our champion ever, literally ever, because um, no interested. 
He was so good too. We had him on, um, we did quite a few interviews with him and um, they were just enjoying the ride, you know? Um, it, it was, I think it was a cool chance too with the E-Cup because it was a chance for fans to really be directly involved with um, the, the players. And I think that's, you know, something that's truly unique. And um, especially when the season's up and running and full steam ahead, it's not something that these fans really have the opportunity to do. So I'm, I'm with you there. It's funny that you took that route because that's actually the route that I had taken as well. A little bit different. Um, there were a a few players, I mean, I should say as a whole, um, we, we saw a different side to a lot of our athletes during this hiatus. As you said, people were doing everything they could to keep busy. Um, there's, there's one, I think, video that will stick out to me for years to come, and it is Sean Tosh's impersonation of Tiger King. And That was a move. If you guys did not see this video, we reposted it um, on Instagram, but of course it's on Sean's um, social media channels as well. You will be crying after. Like the amount of work that he put into that. And I think that just like encapsulated like Sean Tosh's personality as a whole. Um, I mean, we saw, we saw stuff like that. We saw Tyler Gibson um, shooting into apartment windows from across the, the, the street, um, literally with, ju- with just his feet. Um, we, we saw um, guys giving their, their hand at singing um, and creating their own bands. I mean, the, I just, I thought like the level of creativity that kind of came out of this um, hiatus. Armigo Lopez had set up an entire obstacle course for his kids. Um, And like every week his kid was doing something different and quickly like rose into a star there, I think in Sacramento. Um, But I'm right with you. I think that what did come out, the good that did come out of this season for sure was getting to see another side of, um, of our athletes in our league. 100%. 100%. Like you said, just a certainly a unique situation and one none of us ever really are keen to find ourselves in again. Um, but awesome to see our athletes and, and the players and really just the clubs in general, like take initiative and like do something cool. And there was a lot more of than just like creativity too, right? We saw a lot of community give back, which was fantastic. We saw a lot of like city-based, people-based actions and items and things like that that were just nice because very easy to focus on ourselves, obviously, especially during the beginning of the pandemic. But what we saw a lot of is clubs giving back. Um, so you probably picked the the right one, but I just really liked watching Rocket League. So I just like I can't I can't think of anything else. I feel like it's also important to note that um, Devin Kerr and Mike Watts were put on the call for quite a few of those E Cup games and did an extraordinary job. I mean bringing in two guys who obviously knew nothing about Rocket League and, you know, didn't have games to call during this time period. They, they rolled with it. And it was so entertaining. Like, I feel like I was watching them call these E-Cup games. And I was like, I think you guys are having a really good time. Like, you can feel it. And they did their prep work too. Like, Devin and Mike made sure to reach out with, like, what they needed from a talking point standpoint. They're classy dudes. That was just a fun time in terms of watching the tournament go on maybe not so much outside the tournament but yeah i'm with you 
But of course, the season did pick up, and we were finally able to see some, some action and, um, what, three and a half months or, or so of play. Our award winners were finally named uh, this past week. Those kind of took took the spotlight. So what I want to do here, Scott, is obviously give those award winners their, um, their due here and um, give them their kudos. But at the same time, have you and I reveal who uh, we picked in the very first episode way back in, um, I think, believe we did in the first week of March, um, where we named our bold predictions. So I think uh, we'll just we'll just start going down the list. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you nervous? Not ready. Very nervous. For sure wrong. I'm sure a lot. So, hey, you got to own up sometime. Today <laughs> is that day. Well, here we um, we'll start right with the most valuable player in the league. Then, um, uh, as far as everyone knows, Salman Sante was once again named the most valuable player. Proved that um, even though this season may have been cut in half, he has not missed a beat, and um, you know he he may not have you know been in the top three to four goal scores this season, but his impact was was felt, and I think he was maybe more a part of that team as ever, and and him being voted the most valuable player in 2020 from from the media and, and from his, his fellow coaches in the league. I think that that says all it needs to say from Salman Asante. Yeah, 100%. Had an incredible year. Um, now two-time MVP. Was an integral part. Had to help Phoenix adjust a little bit too, right? Like losing Adam John and welcoming in Rufa Dadashov. Like Adam John and Solo were such a great partnership last year that – I, at least I was wondering how they were going to be able to adjust and like what that would look like for Solo, whether he took on more of the goal scoring load. Obviously, you welcomed Santi Moar into the fold as well. So there was just he had a lot of questions to ask, and I think he answered them all with class. And I mean, he obviously showed that he deserved what he got on the field. Um, yeah, I would say very much a deserved MVP winner this year. And I don't know if I would call it a lucky guess, but you are one for one out of the gate here. You also uh, chose Solomon Asante to, to win uh, 2020's Most Valuable Player. So um, I, I want to give you kudos for that, but, like, you picked the safest option, Scott. Mm, I don't know if we've ever had a two-time winner before, especially not back-to-back -back years. So I think I was just kind of going for um, – we'll call it the attractive pick for sure. Yeah. Uh, I went with Nico Brett. Um, we'll we'll get into Nico Brett a, a little bit later in the show, but obviously um, I lost on that one. So uh, next next one I want to get into um, here, Scott. Speaking of two time, uh, defensive player of the year, Forrest Lasso uh, took his uh, took a, his second time winning that category. He is the first two time winner ever in that ever in that category so um massive kudos to to him seemed to really just find a nice fit there on the back line uh with Tampa Bay and Neil Collins has been pretty vocal about that I think especially in this previous offseason and, and heading into the 2020 season that um they really really were looking for that piece that that center that true center back piece in, in the back and um I think they truly got that out of Forrest Lasso. Yeah, 100%. Led probably the steadiest defense in the league. Had great partners back there in Aaron Geaton and Jordan Scarlett. Like, for sure, they all had their, their load to carry. But Forrest was immense for them. And obviously, being able to welcome somebody who has a presence like that and who has the defensive capabilities, 
it allows you to do so much more going forward. But in a three-back system, obviously your job shifts a little bit, right? And all I'll say is if I'm Evan Laurel, I'm sure I felt a lot more comfortable knowing that I had those three, and especially Forrest directly in front of me than I would have anybody else. Speaking of Evan Laurel, I picked him for our Golden Glove winner this year. Scott, you had Matt Van Okel with an alternate of Logan Ketterer, but it's actually Danny Vidiello from Pittsburgh who took home that honor this year. So big kudos um, to him. And of course, that Pittsburgh side put together um, a another great season. Uh, of course, I have a Bob Lilly squad, which we usually expect nothing less out, out of him and his side, Scott. Yeah, 100%. Pittsburgh, for sure. Um, I mean, we've talked about like good defenses all year, right? And obviously, we, we can talk about the Rowdies. We can talk about a Louisville team who had a fantastic defense. But Pittsburgh, really, again, just forming themselves as one of the more well-balanced, well-rounded sides. And Vidiello, um, statistically, for sure, the best that, that we had. And that was a, a rate, like a nail-biter race um, to the end. I think Nicholas Maria put out a um, pretty extensive article at one point that said um, two of our uh, finalists by that, you know, towards the end of the season weren't even in the running yet because you have to reach um, that certain minute mark and, you know, total minutes played of the season. So that one obviously ended up working out in, in Danny's favor, but that was an extremely close statistical race for um, our, our goalkeepers in the 2020 season. But another guy that I really want to talk about who didn't take home uh, the Golden Glove this year, but was uh, very valuable uh, in the back of the net this year, and that was Ben Luke, who was our goalkeeper of the year. Like, I don't know if anyone would argue that, you know, um, so well-deserved. He was taken 37th overall in the 2019 uh, MLSL Super Draft by FC Cincinnati and almost was immediately put on loan over to, to Louisville City and truly shined this season with them. I think able to get those minutes and, and reps, probably that FCC was wanting over uh, in Louisville City um, and obviously uh, had an incredible season. He's not the only one, which is interesting, on that Louisville team this year. Uh, Cameron Lancaster also on loan from Nashville FC. I feel like a lot of people maybe – don't necessarily realize that Cam's still on loan from Nashville, that he wasn't truly, you know, signed uh, to a Louisville contract. So those are two key pieces from 2020 that technically aren't on the team, and we don't know if they'll return in 2021. So I think that can make for an interesting offseason for, for John Hackworth. Yeah, 100%. Um, ben was incredible, right? And, and what's cool is that he was the regular season goalkeeper of the year like that's what that award is for it doesn't have anything to do with the postseason and then Ben just if anything proved everybody who picked him right because he had such an incredible postseason mm -hmm. I think um I think both of us were a little high on Birmingham you more on the attacking side me more on the defensive side just based on what we had seen last year and that's okay Logan Ketterer had an incredible season as well obviously Brandon Miller in Charlotte had a fantastic season but You've already said it best. I just don't – I don't think you can sit here and say that Ben doesn't deserve that award. Um, so, one, I'm happy to be wrong on just because he had such a stellar campaign. Heck of a season for him, truly. Um, we also, of course, got into our young player of the year. You and I didn't give a prediction for, for that one or um, for, for coach of the year, but Wilson Harris taking home the young player of the year. Phenomenal season. Um, we talk about SKC, too, and um, – it. We Martin Rennie, I think even a few weeks back when, when I was talking to him about some, you know, uh, predictions for 
uh, the Eastern Conference Final, he was even saying, you know, SKC2 surprised a lot of people. They really came in and um, wrecked a little bit of havoc in, in their group, and uh, Wilson Harris was a massive piece of that. Yeah, Wilson was fantastic and truly, like, really entertaining to watch, right? I think that was one of the components of SKC2 that I love so much this year is that no matter who they were playing – they were always at least worth watching, right? I didn't leave one of their games and say like, wow, I just, you know, spent two hours knowing that Indy or St. Louis or Louisville or anybody outside their group was going to end up like beating them to a pole. I mean, they played the spoiler multiple times and like really threw a wrench into that group. And so, like I said, fantastic season from Wilson, fully deserved on that front. I probably would have gone with one of the the San Antonio kids if I was making a prediction in July. Um, But now I'm glad that I did not. And, of course, to round up um, our award winners from this past week, Coach of the Year, we have co-winners this year in Troy Lacine and uh, Ian Russell. Mm. I think giving both of them the award shows how truly deadlocked this was and how incredible both of their their seasons um, were. I mean, Troy Lassane did something with New Mexico United that we I think we were all asking of him. You know, he had a, a quite a, a few – really talented pieces there in season one just I think fell a little bit short of what they had truly felt they could accomplish in man 2020 they really they really proved to us they could be something special and I think where you look at Troy is he's found a way to replace some keys I think then the replacement that he found with Mano Marino for Santi Moar is it's proof in itself, you know, that uh, Troy Lestane is for real. And um, we're going to we're gonna see him do some really big things in, in this league. And then, of course, we saw Ian Russell. Um, we had him on for, what, a few weeks ago on the pod. And um, we left that interview, and I was like, I'm a massive Ian Russell fan after that. I mean, that guy is competitive. He gets it. And he uh, took Reno to a historic season. So two well-deserving um, awards there. Yeah, easy, right? And John Hackworth, obviously, not too far off that mark either. And honestly, you could have named any of those three, and I would have said, yeah, I agree, and here's why. Uh, But for Troy, New Mexico playing the entire season on the road, for them to accomplish what they did accomplish, I'm sure that they were still hungry for more, and they will be hungry for more next year. But remarkable to be able to get the results they did playing every single game on the road. And you already said it for Ian. I mean, he just led Reno to an unbelievably efficient campaign. And he had some good weapons. And obviously, when you looked at Reno on paper, you could pick out quite a few guys that you were like, yep, dangerous. Yep, that person's going to be an X factor. But for them to absolutely run rampant, especially um, the way that they approached Group A. Now, we all kind of thought that Sacramento and Reno were going to come out of that from the start. But I don't think that that takes anything away from who we saw Reno end up being at the end of the year. And they were obviously another team that would have for sure like lamented not being in the championship final, but for what Ian did for that club, I mean, the guy is an absolute rock star. So you said it two well-deserved coach co-coaches of the year. And I think everybody can be, um, can be happy with those. On that same note, Scott, the other award I want, really want to talk about is our Golden Boot winner this year. I um, really went on a limb and um, went very hard on Romario Williams being our Golden Boot winner. Point Blank actually said back in March that Romario Williams will make a serious impact even if he doesn't win uh, the Golden Boot, which I feel like was also wrong. <laughs> so um, all of, I think, my... Um, 
what I my predictions for Miami FC alone, we could probably just toss out uh, the, the back window because I was wrong on every single <laughs> account when it came to Miami FC. Um, yours was a, a much um, safer bet and closer running, I think, at one point as well, of course, and Cameron Lancaster, which he he was pretty close. He ended up what, in, the, in the top five or so, right? Yeah, yeah, and obviously, like you said, Cam, a very safe choice for, for Golden Boot winner. Um, I'm not mad about it, though. No, not at all. And then Tyler Pasher started really hot, and I thought maybe he had a shot at it. Um, but ultimately, neither one of those guys ended up with their name on the, um, on the statistical sheet. Of course, Junior Flemings took home that honor, adding to another great season for Phoenix Rising FC, landing them in uh, the USL Championship Final, which – Scott is one of our last uh, predictions that we made here at the beginning of the season, um, which, which is a fun one. Um, I can, I'll, I'll put myself on the spot here first. I don't have any shame. Uh, I had guessed, I had predicted that it was going to be Indy 11 and Phoenix uh, in the, the final two here in November. I actually um, went out on a limb and said, I think when you look at the Eastern Conference, Indy 11 is going to be the most consistent team this season, um, which, like, I probably should just be fired from my job at this point for going for saying that because I feel like that probably couldn't have been more incorrect from the, the 2020 season. Not to knock uh, the level of talent that Indy 11 possesses, but it's surely just the ball did not roll their way uh, in, in 2020. Um, that being said, um, you and I both – had Phoenix, you, I don't know, do you remember your final pick? Yeah, I had Louisville. I thought it was Louisville, a rematch. You did. Um, you, you wrote down Phoenix versus Louisville twice and crossed it out twice and then still picked Phoenix and Louisville. And this is, therein lies the, the reason why I don't get asked to pick anything because I resubmit the sheet five times before I actually land on something. God, that, that was, of course, a, a fun one. And listen, it's easy for us to poke fun at ourselves. And you and I both had, you know, went out on many times during those predictions that said, hey, listen, it's March. Like, what, what do we know? And I feel like that's a very fair assessment. What, what, at that point, we didn't know anything. <laughs> and I knew less in July than I knew in March, to be honest. So, Our, our last bold predictions that we had, um, we, we each picked a dark horse uh, for, for 2020. I went with FC Tulsa. You went with El Paso and then shifted to San Antonio, which I feel like we can chalk this up to a three for three, right? Like, I think all three of those teams performed better than expected in, yeah. in 2021. You can say that, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and great shout on FC Tulsa. Like, I thought that they were they were certainly a lot better than I thought that they – not that I thought that they would be poor. It's more just like they impressed me with their style. They impressed me with the way they carried themselves. They've obviously got great veteran leadership on that team. Uh, El Paso, I feel like was cheating a little bit just because we all kind of thought that they would come back strong given their appearance in the Western Conference Final last year. San Antonio is one that I'll be proud of, though. And again, not that we thought San Antonio would be poor, just that we didn't see them dominating the way that they ended up dominating. And obviously, again, Postseason aside, they had an incredible regular season. By far, by far, a top three side in the West in the regular season. And really, like, stood out among the rest of the pack. Alan Marcina did something very special with that group this year. They have a lot to be proud of. Um, I like 100% records when you and I pick things. If we can both be right, that's the world I want to continue to live in. 
the best way to end on bold predictions too. Um, there are a few questions I wanted to throw your way and see what you thought now, because one that we had talked about back in March was you had some, some serious questions about what it was going to be like for Louisville City FC not playing at Slugger Field anymore, that making that transition to Lynn Family Stadium, scale one to five, in your opinion, how'd they adapt? Uh, five. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I thought it was that a they, question, but I mean, yeah. they they just ran with it. They were great. They were fantastic, and obviously, I'm sure they were bolstered by the the just the fact that they had their own place finally, and that they they could call it their own. Um, but like we had always talked about Louisville and the advantage of the turf monster. Like they they got to take advantage of that bad boy a couple times. Lynn, I don't think they would swap anything for even a half second. Right? It was a beautiful transition. Pittsburgh was probably the only team to like really land something on them there, land the glove on them there. And it was the first game that they had played there. Outside of that, Louisville pretty much unscathed. A fantastic regular season, a great postseason as well, obviously falling short to the Rowdies in the, in the Eastern Conference Final, but nothing to be ashamed of at all. That, that's a pure five for me. Speaking of uh, Tampa Bay in that Eastern Conference Final, I asked you, what club you were most excited to watch this season. And you had Tampa Bay as the club in the East, as the one that you were most excited, obviously having uh, San Diego as well in the West, but I feel like that's kind of, everyone can pretty much say that about an expansion team, not really knowing what to expect. Um, but you either said point blank, Tampa Bay can either explode and be stupid good, or they can be fine and make it to the playoffs and go out in the first round. Um, now I feel like we've seen both of those scenarios, that the, the latter, you know, being that 2019 scenario. But 2020, do you think you can go out and say that they were stupid good? Yeah, stupid good is probably one way to describe it for sure. <laughs> um, incredibly consistent, obviously very talented top to back. Uh, Loro had a great season. We've talked about their defense having a great season, but like, Sebastian Guanzati, Juan Tejada, even Lucky Kosana just playing integral roles for that squad. So um, looking forward to seeing a lot more from them. We'll be interested to see what their roster decisions look like and how that team is going to try and improve heading into next year, which is slim margins at that point. There aren't many spots that Tampa Bay can continue to get better in. Um, but knowing head coach Neil Collins, I'm sure his list is a lot longer than mine. And now I'm just excited to see what they bring to the fold in 2021. Lastly here, before we uh, see what Jake Edwards is up to, you and I talked time and time again about Nico Brett. He was our most talked about player in the offseason. I think you and I have both dubbed him as a, a running for um, the MVP and the Golden Boot, possibly. I mean, that was something – that was a pickup that, that we were impressed, and we thought that could truly work um, in Birmingham. Do you feel like he hit expectations? I do. I really do. I mean, Nico did really well. Brian Wright had a good season. Um, obviously, Bruno Lapa, who made the, the all-league first team. Like, Birmingham was good. I think I probably just aimed a little too high for the second-year squad, and that's okay, right? Like, you, you said it very well earlier, no shame here. Uh, because though Birmingham probably did not go as far as they wanted to, and I'm sure they wanted to have an even stronger regular season – Charlotte came out of nowhere and really disrupted that group a little bit. I still think Nico Brett and really the entire Legion FC side had a great year. Um, I think, if anything, I just told them to hit the moon and they landed amongst the stars, which is not a bad place to be. 
I feel like if that's the scenario, there's nothing to hang your hats on. And especially for Nico, Brad, I think he should still be very proud of, of, of the 2020 season. And you never know, maybe maybe that 2021 MVP will be his place and he just needed a year with, with Birmingham under his belt. The only time will tell. 100%. All with you. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, the man himself, Jake Edwards, uh, USL president, is going to join us. He's going to talk about the season as a whole. He's going to we're going to put him on the spot. We're going to ask him some, um, you know, some some pretty hard questions and um, turn that page and, and get excited for for twenty twenty one. So I can't wait to hear what Jake has to say. I know he's got some exciting announcements to uh, to land here on on the pod as well. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Jake Edwards is going to join us. This is Jake Edwards, and you are listening to Steal Some Time. USL President Jake Edwards now joins Steal Some Time. Jake, happy to have you on this week. Thanks for uh, making the time for us. Great. Good to be with you. It's an honor. <laughs> happy to be able to steal some of your time. I know it's been a crazy year. I know you've been extremely busy, and it kind of feels like the world's just dealt with, with battle after battle here in, in 2020. From your perspective, how would you describe 2020? Uh, it's been a monumental challenge uh, for our league and, and many other sports leagues, uh, of course, trying to operate in this environment. Um, having concluded the season now, uh, having some time to take a breath and look back, I, I would describe it as um, a significant challenge that brought us all together to solve um, to solve a really difficult situation, to get back on the field, to think about health and safety first and foremost, to get our teams back into their communities, into their stadiums, and to be back with our supporters, whether um, uh, in limited capacity in the venues or on our broadcast. And so that was a major challenge that we were able to bring everybody together, bring the right experts together, uh, and, and um, and solve that, and we did. And so I think as I look back now on, on a season that had many ups and downs, um, ultimately I'm in incredibly proud of what we were able to achieve, the effort and the work that went into this season um, from everybody at the league office was tremendous. I'm so proud to be able to work with the individuals I work with here who worked tirelessly uh, to make this season happen. and the effort of all our owners to lean into a very difficult situation where they were going to be playing without fans um, uh, that rallied together uh, to solve that. And for our players who were very brave to come back and step onto the field, um, when you think about those early days when we didn't know a lot about this virus, um, to, to step back on the field, to play, to train, to travel, to get on a plane, um, very brave of them to do that and, and so proud of them for, for doing that and for living their lives in a way that gave us um, a chance to, to play this season uh, under difficult circumstances. So just so proud of everybody and ultimately I'm very proud of this league because it sends a, a statement about who we are as a league, what is the championship, what is League One, um, the strength of these leagues and the future of these leagues. Um, and the fact that we played had a, had a massive impact on that. So while we didn't have the final, while we had some tough times this season, uh, we came together in a way that I think has made the USL um, 
and all of our clubs a much closer and tighter knit group uh, that are now in good stead looking forward for 21 and beyond having had that shared experience of 2020. You mentioned that final. Obviously, that's something that I feel like we have to talk about both seasons and championship and league one ending in a way that none of us would have wanted it to, to go out. Can you give us some perspective on the cancellation of, of both league one and championship final? Yeah, very difficult decisions, very difficult um, situations. I feel uh, desperately for the players of all of those clubs who had worked so hard to get to that big game you know that showpiece um now you know in leagues what elite one we had a structure where it's a single table uh there were no playoffs uh we had a agreement uh, voted upon by the owners uh of the board uh, of governors earlier in the year that should at any point we not, we were unable to conclude the season uh, or have the final then the team with the highest points total would be declared the winner and you could do that in a single table with no playoffs and Greenville had led the league for most of the season so despite what was a tremendous uh, weekend prior where three teams could have been on the field in the final playing against Greenville where Omaha scored that amazing goal in the last minute to send them through with all that excitement it was so disappointing them that we couldn't have that that final and and I feel so uh, for uh, Omaha and those players uh, as well as Greenville but um, we had a mechanism uh, in place for that and that's what we uh, that's what we had that was a decision that the league and the two teams made uh, in the case of, of uh, Phoenix and uh, Tampa in the championship it was a difficult decision but um, we didn't have that structure we played in divisions we had playoffs so in that model you couldn't just automatically give it to one team by default so we had to make this decision, would this game be played or, or, or not? And uh, unfortunately, with, with, the, with, a, with an outbreak that happened um, uh, and the amount of cases we had, um, you're talking about a two-week quarantine um, for, for near enough the whole team. And then you've got at least a week's training to get everyone back and prepped. So you're looking at three weeks down the road. Now we have case counts spiking now up in, in, in Arizona and in Florida. And we have the winter coming and to, to think about a game beyond November 1st, which is, as, which is what we voted upon with our board, that's as far as we were going to go. So now extend almost a month, um, given where things were uh, with the case count, uh, created significant risk for the health uh, and of those players and the ability to guarantee we could execute that game in three weeks' time. Phoenix had players going on international duty in, in, uh, later on in the month, um, uh, and so they would have to come back, go into quarantine. So there was going to be significant challenges for both teams to, to and the league to execute that safely. We're not sure we could have guaranteed that. Both teams then, uh, with the league, decided that um, they weren't comfortable to come back and play that game in three weeks' time. And that, um, in unfortunately, um, this season we would have the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference champions. And there'd be a recognition of both of those teams for being finalists, but that's where it would end. And so we were all set up, weren't we, with on ESPN. We had every, all the infrastructure in place. The teams were there. We were ready to go. And unfortunately, the just news kept getting worse and worse every day up until Saturday when we had to call it. Um, so a disappointing way to end. Um, we would like to end it on that high. Uh, but again, for me, it, um, it doesn't take anything away from the, um, the many positives, actually, that have happened this season. 
one follow-up to that, Jake, and I think what many of us can attest to what we've seen reaction-wise across social media was the confusion of why you can name a, a League One champion but not one in, in the championship. Do you feel that is because of that the mechanisms put in place there? You know, why was there kind of that structure set up there for League One but not championship? Yeah, it's just, it's purely down to the structure. You know, when you have 12 teams playing in a single table um, and, and they had agreed to, the, the, the board of governors of League One had agreed um, when they came back to play that there would be a certain season length, a certain number of games, and that's when it would end. And should they not be able to complete that, uh, they would then uh, go to a points per game as a winner, knowing that they weren't going to extend the season by having playoffs. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's an easier way to arrive at that final conclusion, which was predetermined. Um, in the championship, we also had the same mechanism. However, um, in terms of ending the season early, but we have a very different structure then with the divisions we had, the multiple divisions, and a playoff model. And we, we did not have a, a, a mechanism then just to simply award uh, to either Tampa or Phoenix the championship. Um, that was not predetermined. And so it was going to be whether or not you can, you can extend or um, it is what it is and we don't play that final. And that's, that's you know, structurally, there were, two, there were just two different and that was all predetermined. Not an easy decision, uh, either scenario for, for you and the executive staff and, and, and you know, all the, the club owners. But there's been many decisions for you this in, entire year that kind of encapsulates all of, of 2020. It's been a really pivotal year for, for sports leagues and, and teams and athletes to really use their platform for social good and activism. We've seen that a lot in, in both League One and Championship this year. How did United Soccer League navigate that time? Why was it important for you that the leagues get involved yeah i think um this is uh i've been a remarkable year um to deal with so many things that of the magnitude um individually but to have them all happen at the same time has been a unique situation for us to deal with the outbreak of covid19 and the implications of that um and the challenges that that presents um, as well as being in an election year of a very politically um, uh, divisive um, environment that, that, that it's become. Uh, and with the, uh, you know, the instances of, of police brutality and racial injustice and societal unrest and rioting and cities on fire. And so to Pretend none of that's happening is is you can't, and so you've that. What's happening in society comes into how you're operating your league, and you have to um, understand um, where you draw the line and where you get involved. And so it, it's and there's not uh, it's not always obvious. And so navigating a lot of these very complex issues in the middle of trying to play a season. Um, has been a, a monumental task, but it's not a task that you can sit at a league office and say, we've got all the answers and we're going to do it this way. It's a task where you have to um, understand that you don't know everything and you have to listen um, and you have to engage with people. Um, and that, that, that's how we approached it this year. Uh, and so um, 
you know, what was very beneficial for us uh, has been to be able to work with our newly formed Black Players Alliance this year. Um, and uh, a group of over 100 black athletes in the USL Championship and League One came together, um, formed an alliance, and are um, actively working with the USL throughout this season on how to navigate some of these, um, you know, difficult situations. And, and not just navigate, but then how to engage and how to think about how we can use the USL and the, and the fantastic platform we have to affect some positive change in communities. Uh, across this country and so we've been uh, we took the the position to listen not to put out statements not to tell people what what we want to do um, because we think it's in our interests we wanted to listen and uh, and and through that we were able to partner uh, and 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 uh, the BPA kindly asked us to work with them on a number of initiatives whether that was in-game activism whether that was BLM armbands whether that was voter uh, education and uh, turnout partnerships with outside organizations. We work with Black Arrow Media Company to tell some really impactful stories about the um, many of the black athletes we have in the USL and their journey through football and what they're doing now and what they're aspiring to do in the future. Um, we've had some unsavory instances, um, uh, you know, during this season, um, uh, racial slurs, homophobic slurs. And so despite a real coming together and a moment of unity amongst our players, we've had some of these horrific things said on the field. And so you're left scratching your head as to why that's happened and what, what can we do about that in the short, medium and long term. And so working with the BPA and partnering with uh, the ISSJ, the Institute of Sport and Social Justice, we're going to have a lot of sensitivity training and bias training and working with our players and, and staff in the off season to to have a better appreciation that what we say matters and how we say things matters and the words we use matters, um, as well as coming together with our clubs through our new um, newly formed impact committee. And we're going to discuss um, how we can create more diversity and more opportunity and reduce barriers to entry into our sport, into our communities, uh, through our football clubs. And, and that work now begins um, in earnest. And so, uh, you know, you can't navigate these things on your own. These are very complex times that we've gone through this year and you have to bring in the right people and you have to, you have to engage um, and, and, and ask for help. And that's what we've done this year. And I think we've, we've learned so much this year and I think we're in, uh, I'm excited to see what we can collaborate on, uh, you know, as we move through next season and beyond to affect some positive change. A lot of what you've taken from these conversations with the, the BLPPA or, um, you know, the, the Players Association, what do you see that moving into in 2021? Do you see some changes that might be more permanent now um, as we look to kind of, you know, be a part of, of that positive change here? Yeah, I think so. I think I think you have to try things. Some things will work, some things won't. Um, we come at all of these things with an open mind to try everything, knowing that we don't know everything. And so, um, you know, I think what we will be working on with the Players Association uh, and the BLA is is uh, engaging the, the, the clubs uh, and to determine what can we do in, in each community. And, and we might do certain things in certain communities and certain thing in other, in other markets. We may be able to do league-wide programs so everybody gets to participate on because it makes sense to and some of these initiatives are, are universal, so to speak. And so, uh, but recognize there are unique 
environments that we play in uh, that might have different challenges or different opportunities. So it's really assessing um, how every club can have an impact locally and then how we can have an impact nationally and use the platform that we have uh, as one of the, um, uh, you know, one of the, the, the top growing leagues in the world, top second divisions in the world and the platform we have and our media partners afford us. So what can we do league wide? What do all of our players want to engage in nationally versus what we can do uh, locally in certain, in certain instances? So, uh, so, you know, there'll be regular dialogue with the BPA, with the Players uh, Association, with, um, uh, with the Impact Committee, with the League Office, with our clubs. You know, we're all in this together. Uh, and so I, I, can, I can imagine we'll be trying a lot of different things. But, um, you know, it, it, it would seem to me there are initiatives that we can work on that will absolutely be fixtures and long-term initiatives uh, that we can work on, uh, that you'll see um, uh, as early as next year. Excited to see some of those things come to life in 2021. I know you have quite a few things in store as well this coming season. One of those just announced with uh, Puma being the, the official league jersey partner moving forward. But I think on top of that announcement, it's important to note that this is different than MLS partnering with Adidas, for, for instance. So I'm hoping that you can kind of elaborate on this Puma partnership for us. Yeah, it's exciting announcement. Puma, fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic company, fantastic apparel partner to join the league. Um, very excited about that. Um, you know, it's been, as I said, we have had a number of um, exciting things happening this year in a very challenging year. And we've been able to bring on through our new commercial partnership program, which we launched this year, um, a new uh, a new crop of, of league partners that are really uh, going to help take this league forward. Uh, and so, um, and Puma uh, joins as the new apparel partner for the league. Now, uh, it's as, ex as excited as we are to be working with an apparel partner um, and to be working with Puma, it is important that we recognize that the USL, uh, one of our main strengths is the individuality of our clubs and that we want to foster that local flavor and have those brands that our fans are following uh, and 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 becoming very tribal and passionate followers of, and that we have a, we have um, clubs like Madison or you know um, Las Vegas Lights or um, you know Indy Eleven or Louisville City, and they've got their own look and feel, their own brand, their own identity, and um, for us, that's always been critically important that we foster that sense of identity, and we don't have this um, sort of homogenous league. Um, where everyone looks and feels the same. And so the, uh, the partnership with Puma um, is, a, uh, is, is respectful of that. And, you know, some of our teams uh, will, will have the ability to work with Puma uh, on their apparel deals, but it's not a mandated, uh, it's not a mandated um, deal that every team uh, suddenly has to be with Puma and everyone's in the same kit and starts to look and feel the same. So uh, very excited as to where we can go with Puma. Um, they're a great brand and we're going to do some exciting uh, uh, initiatives together, uh, but, but we will be able to respect that individuality of each club as well. Really excited to see what's to come with Puma here in the near future. Jake, one more thing for you. What's, what else is in store for, for 2021 and beyond? I know you have a lot of exciting things coming up the pipeline. Well, you know, we start with our new expansion team in Oakland. Uh, joining an exciting group, great, great uh, community-based club, um, and I think they're going to be a, a fantastic addition uh, to the championship. 
Um, we have uh, a major initiative, as you know, uh, building stadiums, our stadium de development program. We've got a little over a billion dollars right now invested in stadium infrastructure projects. Uh, you saw uh, Louisville City open their fantastic new stadium this season. So there'll be more to come. Colorado Springs opening their stadium, uh, new stadiums opening in League One uh, in, uh, in South Georgia, uh, for example. So continuing to um, uh, bring fantastic new stadiums uh, into both Championship uh, and uh, League One. Um, we may well be making some changes to the competition next year as well as we think about what the, um, uh, the effect uh, of, um, of COVID-19 will have on us going into next season. Um, and most importantly, how do we get our fans back in the building and how do we play football again in front of our supporters? And so uh, we want to give ourselves the best possible chance to do that. So we are working on the competition model for next year, which certainly might include delaying the start uh, a little bit to give us the best possible chance to get fans uh, in the building and also try to uh, move us back towards the competition structure, uh, at least in the championship that we were familiar with in 2019 when we had two conferences um, versus the hyper-local divisional structure we had this year. Um, whether we can get all the way back in 21, um, possibly a halfway house. So we can have some more diversity, at least of opponents uh, for our clubs and fans that we did this year, um, and then work towards uh, uh, you know, the 22 season when we can move back. So some, some, some alterations there uh, on the competition structure. Uh, and some, um, as we talked about, we're looking forward to the continued dialogue and, and, and work on, on important projects uh, with the BPA and the USLPA, as well as our impact committee. Uh, and um, and uh, uh, excited to see some of the rollout of the new partnerships, uh, such as Puma, uh, Clear Audio and Synchronicity and a number of other partners that we have on board. So um, lots of positive things happening uh, for the 21 campaign uh, and more to follow as we get into 22 and 23. I know we're kind of ready to put the bow on a 2020 and move into 2021. Obviously, a lot of really exciting things ahead there. But one final note here, I think, for 2020 that we really need to touch on is some of those uh, year-end numbers that recently just came out. 80% um, sale, corporate sale revenue up by uh, USL clubs for you know that are saved from returning to play. 500%. Um, USL viewership on ESPN uh, plus increased five times per match. Some really exciting numbers coming out. I mean, that's got to be exciting for, for you and, um, you know, the, the executive staff at USL HQ. Yeah, as I said, I'm very proud of everybody for um, the uh, achievement of playing this season. And in and amongst all the challenges we've had, we've got many great things that have happened. Uh, and so it's a testament to everyone that's worked so hard on it. And just um, the... the uh, continued interest and investment into this sport and so you know, as we look back uh, on some of those highlights as you mentioned you know our partnership with ESPN uh, has been fantastic this year we've had more games on national television uh, than at any point in our history um, the viewership numbers have been tremendous about 500 percent increase on average uh, for our viewership on ESPN plus that tells you our fans are no less engaged uh, our fans are more engaged and they are wanting to consume and support and follow their teams, certainly if they're not able to get into the stadiums. As we saw this year as well, our, if, the, the five of the 10 most viewed games in the history of our league happened this year. Um, so a fantastic amount of, uh, of support by our fans um, in, a, in a difficult year for them as well, not being able to be 
so close to their to their clubs um, as, as they would like. Um, so that's a, certainly a positive for us. We announced uh, two new expansion clubs this year in Queens, uh, New York, Queensborough FC. Um, exciting ownership group there, big plans. We're excited to have uh, the community of Queens uh, in the USL, very diverse community. I know it's going to be very impactful uh, for our league, as well as um, Oakland, California and Oakland Roots coming on uh, into the league. So two great expansion announcements for championship um, uh, for over the next uh, two seasons. Absolutely. Uh, USL President Jake Edwards, as always, it is a pleasure to steal some of your time. I appreciate you coming on the pod today, wrapping up the, the 2020 season with us. And um, I think I speak for everyone when I say we can't wait for uh, the ball to drop it in 2021. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been a long year, so I hope everyone can just take a breath and then let's get 2020 in the rear view and let's uh, see what's coming. Very excited for 2021. Thanks. Hey guys, this is Mark Anthony Kay and you're listening to Steal Some Time. Welcome back into Steal Some Time. Really appreciate Jake giving us his time. I know it's pretty sacred. Um, so, you know, any chance that we can steal some of Jake's time, we're going to take him up on that. Uh, I, I think a big part of that, Scott, coming out of that conversation with Jake is um, how excited this he is and the company is about this Puma deal. And um, the fact that, you know, for the first time ever, they're bringing on a, a league apparel partner. So um, really exciting times, I think, especially as, you know, you look further. And I feel like we needed some clarification on what exactly that meant. And he was really able to provide that for us. Yeah, and a couple teams more familiar with Puma than others. Obviously, we saw them knock New Mexico United's gear out of the park. Uh, but a really highly well-respected brand who makes great apparel, like, if there are teams that are looking to shift more towards that side of things and end up going with the Jersey sponsorship or the Jersey deal, like Puma has shown what they're capable of. So I'm excited. I um, Their creative is insane. So I just kind of want to see some, some crazy kits going into 2021 and obviously well beyond that too. I imagine some kits will be making headlines here soon, but we have a few players uh, from the last week and a half that have made headlines of their own. And I can't, we can't end the show today without uh, talking a little bit about that. I think first and foremost, we have to look at Chris Weehan headed to Orange County SC. How do you replace someone like him if you're in Mexico United? We talked about that a little bit earlier with Santi Moore and you know how Troy Singh was able to find a replacement for him. So Maybe maybe there isn't an avenue there for, for Troy New Mexico United, but you have to be pretty bummed if you're a New Mexico United fan and, and Chris is, is headed off to Orange County. And obviously Chris playing such an integral part in the formation of that club, the culture that they carry. We, we talked about not just New Mexico United in general, um, but Troy being a very, very culture-based guy who creates the locker room that he wants to have and Chris was a big part of that. And you can't blame Chris for going home. No one would ever blame him for, for taking that opportunity. And that makes Orange County that much scarier next year, for sure, now that we know at least one additional piece of their puzzle that they're going to have. But um, sad times. It was cool to see the outpouring of love from New Mexico United fans, classy folks, um, really, really great club. Everybody just very grateful that Chris chose to spend two solid years there. And um, everybody wishes them all the best. And I think if you take one look at Chris's uh, social media this past week, he is so grateful for uh, what New Mexico has given to, to him and his family. And uh, I'm excited to see how he fits in uh, in the middle there with, with Orange County. 
elsewhere uh, across the league. When we talk about some uh, some team roster news, Louisville City once again going hard out of the gate here. Uh, John Hackworth and his side already looking well into 2021. Some key pieces they're returning. Um, Paulo Del Piccolo, Corbin Bone, Brian Omi, Oscar Jimenez. I mean, four, four big names for that squad already officially coming back. And then, of course, um, uh, you've got Nap- Napo Masoso, Antoine Opino, um, Suahi. I mean, you've got a few big names. I mean, there's that's what eight, seven out of the gate here. You know that they already that they can nearly make their starting eleven with just the returners that they've already announced. And I can imagine there's quite a few where more where that's coming from. Yeah, all those guys you named are starting caliber players for that club. So, but this is also vintage Louisville, like didn't end the season the way they wanted to. So we're going to give you some good news in that we're bringing back the vast majority of the team that just made that incredible run. So um, what I'm really interested in though, is, is again, the additions, right? We saw some huge additions last off season that played a, a very, very like a, again, just a massive role in that club, Corbin bone being one of them. Right. And so you got guys who are coming back, Pat McMahon, Napo Matsoso played a key part. Uh, whether starting or coming in off the bench, like every single person who you just named plays a, a big role in that team. And so whoever coach John Hackworth and assistant coach Danny Cruz are going to bring into the fold, you know, it's going to be somebody high caliber. So to make a championship final and fall short, and then an Eastern conference final and fall short, you can imagine that Louisville once again, will only want the absolute best of the best because their plan is to win it all in 2021. And Hack did point blank say that he's looking at bringing in some younger guys. Uh, you know, he's got to replace Luke Spencer. Um, but he, he point blank said that he wants to, to add in some of that, some of the younger blood and see how they kind of drive with, uh, with that veteran side. So I'm looking to see that. I think when you look at Louisville City, they're not a club that um, normally has a, a lot of young blood in, in their system. They're, definitely a heavy veteran unit and it works for them. Um, so if Hack's making some changes, I'm very excited to see who he pulls in on that side. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You, we, I think we have to round out our, our news this week, Scott, with some big moves over to Minnesota United, obviously, um, heading over to, to MLS system and uh, hats off to Sam Weedle, Foster Langsdorf and Kevin Partida. That unit is all headed to Minnesota United FC. And I believe all three were in the 18 on uh, decision day uh, uh, this past Monday. So um, three guys who uh, took Reno on an incredible run this season and uh, future is, is looking bright. And again, we talk about this, but full circle, right? Um, it's, it's really getting the time and the minutes they needed. And I think these guys, it's very well deserved. They're getting that shot. Yeah, and Reno has done that with multiple players, right? We've seen some some huge names. I mean, Danny Moskowski is one of them. JT Martzanowski is another one of them. Now it's just cool to see some some more graduates, if you will, from the Reno system make their way um, to the, the top level of professional soccer in the country. But not a surprise. Shouldn't be a surprise, right? These are three players who have starred, not even just for Reno. We've seen them play well just the entirety of their careers. So, this isn't something where we should sit there and be like, oh, wow, like I can't believe those three guys got a shot. It's like we should be saying, yeah, that makes sense for all three of those guys. And I, I can't wait to see Kevin Partita make his way into it. Obviously, Sam Gleedle, Foster Langsdorf, we've had our eyes on for a few years now. So, again, uh, a massive opportunity for all three players, and, and hopefully they continue to make an impact in Minnesota instead of Reno. 
And listen, plenty more news like that I, I expect to come here in, in the next three months or so. Um, and, and you and I will check in when we can, but this, of course, will be uh, the final time that we'll come together with you guys. Before that's all said and done, Matt Calvo, you know what time it is. Last one of the year. Let's do a dose of shots fired. So uh, this weekend here at uh, Casa Calvo, we have embarked on a journey that uh, under normal circumstances, I have to be honest, I would not be proud of, but um, it's 2020 and all of the rules are out the window. So uh, what happened over the weekend here is that we have now started putting up our Christmas decorations. And like I said, normally I, I, I am a big advocate of Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving, it's my favorite holiday. And I am uh, very adamant that Thanksgiving get its due under normal circumstances, but, uh, but this is 2020. And as we have said four bajillion times over the past 12 months, these are unprecedented times and they call for unprecedented measures. So uh, we have begun putting up the Christmas decorations because at this point, whatever brings you joy is what you should be doing in life. So uh, that isn't going to be the question because I don't like to give you, there's like, there's, there's, there's two options. So that, we can discuss your feelings on um, Christmas decorations pre-Thanksgiving after the actual debate, but it did inspire today's question, which is best Christmas song. Mm. Oh my God. Because while we're putting up the Christmas decorations, we have to listen to Christmas music. So we had, the, it was the full effect, the, the Christmas carols going, the tree going up, the decorations coming out of the bins. Whole, whole thing so there's so many different ways you can take this question best best christmas song is uh is going to be what we're what we're discussing today and uh and kelsey Steele was victorious last week <laughs> i have to go first i think I, I know i think i'm gonna make mr scott go first okay yeah, my decision i think that's fair he defers to you scott so whenever you're ready go ahead yeah, um, so I'm a big Oh Holy Night guy, and I'll, I'll leave it at that because my actual favorite song that I'm going to go with is Jingle Bell Rock. It's oh. an iconic song. It is, it is by far one of the most popular and common songs played during the Christmas season. It's used everywhere from Hollywood to the Stewart household. It is, um, it's a song that, frankly, you can't go wrong with. Catchy tune, easy to remember, got all the flair and fire to it, and it just adds that little bit more Christmas spirit. So Jingle Bell Rock is what I'm rocking Nicely done. And under 30 as well. Sometimes you just don't need the full 30. You don't need them. You don't need them. All right, Kelsey, you ready to go? Okay, ready. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Take Scott's Lead here. My favorite all time is going to be Hallelujah, the Pentatonics version. Um, but it's not going to be my go to if I'm decorating the Christmas tree. That's going to probably be all I want for Christmas is you, my Carrie version. Because I feel like once you start hearing that song, usually people, social media is probably the first place that I'm going to hear it. But like the moment that clicks, I'm like, I'm ready. It's time. <laughs> and well, that's blaring in the background. Something just makes me feel like it, it, Christmas is here and uh, I'm going to scream it to time. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. This has been a recurring question in the in Casa Calvo for the past couple of weeks. Nico has been very interested in, uh, in what everyone's favorite song is. So, um, I, I, and I've struggled to, to solidify one. But that being said, um, in the certainly in the top five is one that that one of you has mentioned 
and it's uh, the Jingle Bell Rock. I knew it. I knew it. It's the classic. The classic. People choose between Christmas songs. Like I feel like Christmas has a solid top ten that you can yeah. take anytime. Yeah. So, what is your take on uh, decorations pre or post Thanksgiving? Uh, this year, I will allow it. I will say, but um, I usually don't like to decorate until after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. Um, yeah. and I just feel like we shouldn't um, force it by. Like you should take that time in. Agreed. Under normal circumstances. Agreed. Yeah. Scott, are you a pre-Thanksgiving decorator? Absolutely not. I am, um, I am learning to grow more comfortable with it. And like the crowd has so very clearly and, and very wonderfully stated, under normal circumstances, no. This year, we'll make an exception. There are many around me who strongly disagree with my opinion. But listen, you got to have principles. If you don't stand for something, <laughs> I, I am standing for a post-Thanksgiving beginning of celebrations. But 2020, we'll let it go. I, I did draw the line at the uh, – we're, we're staying on the indoor decorations for now. We're not, we're not taking them outside um, until after Thanksgiving, just because I don't want the judgment from the neighborhood. And judgment <laughs> happen inside the house. <laughs> yeah, there, there's already enough judgment from the neighborhood for so many other reasons. Let's not <laughs> add that to the list. Um, so we're just sticking with the indoor decorations. And then after Thanksgiving, we'll fire up the, the lights outside as well. Beautiful. Good job, Fired to live on. I think Scott had himself a better season this year than 2019. Yeah, it was, it was strong. Yeah, the, the gradual ladder is what Scott's working on. So 2021 might be your year. You never know. Fingers crossed. I know who I'm picking for MVP, but we'll leave that for March. <laughs> Guys, that'll do it for us for the 2020 season. Season two of Seal Sometime is in the books. Um, appreciate you guys listening uh, week in and week out. We love doing this show and it obviously um, wouldn't happen without you guys. So um, for the final time here in 2020, Scott, Stu, Kelsey, Seal, Matt Calvo, um, we will see you guys in 2021.